Hey, welcome to episode 51 of We Have Such Films to Show You. Uh, this episode, we are talking about uh, Guillermo del Toro's badly pronounced name, <laughs> and also his uh, most recent film, the gothic horror romance thing, Crimson Peak. Uh, Actually, I, I, I prefer the uh, international title, which is uh, Edith and the Helpful Ghosts. Really? No. Oh, oh. I could almost believe it. I, I was I was excited, but then I, I was like, you're also lying, aren't you? You're lying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, I am, guest I am today. <laughs> Josh Millard. Uh, uh, I'm Yaakov. <laughs> on the far side of that awkward pause. 51 <laughs> episodes is not very many. There's no reason we should be good at this yet. And, uh, and with us is our... Special guest for this episode, Mark Poffham. Thank you. Excited, <laughs> excited to be here. Long time listener. I'm just really first excited that caller. I got the name right. We we talked about it ahead of time and found out that I was not going to pronounce it right if I didn't ask first. So <laughs> I'm just going to quietly bask in sticking the landing. Uh, <laughs> yes, Mar- Del Toro Mark- didn't get that. Unfortunately, <laughs> no, he's he's he, he's 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 got a lot of money. He's, he can, yeah, he can deal with it. I, he owns Harry Houdini's house right now. Really. Yeah, he has some some bizarre uh like like his office is actually I believe like Harry Houdini's old mansion and it's filled with like famous monsters of filmland memorabilia and things. Do you think he ever gets in like a house fight with a uh, uh, Rob Zombie? Like they just get their houses oh, God, together and yeah. like, you know. <laughs> Whose house does Rob Zombie own? <laughs> Rob Zombies. Oh, okay. <laughs> Gold. Uh, they, uh. they both own like goth kaiju houses. <laughs> um, uh, Mark, do you want to tell people where they might know you from? Oh yes, I am. I am on. I haven't seen that. Or yes, I haven't seen that, which is my other podcast. It's, yeah, it's a podcast uh, with, where you review films you haven't seen, right? We we generally talk about like pop culture <laughs> stuff with an eye towards like stuff that you just haven't seen. Like my the thing I always say about it is like when you're a little kid and you're in a, a like a West Coast video and there's the VHS tapes with the extremely terrifying covers yes. and you never watch that movie, but you build up so much about that movie and like what it's about. That is glancingly what our podcast. Yeah, which is, is which is such. I, I think that is like probably one of the organizing phenomenons of uh so many movie podcasters actually just like there's something there's something really fundamental about that experience in childhood of being allowed to browse yeah like like you're killing time while your parents should we watch remains of the day i don't know and you're like yeah look (laughs) at this fucking wolf's face ripping out of this guy's face that's amazing and then eventually you see the howling and you're like eh yeah, I think like the, the 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 part of the foundational experience that a lot of people want to talk about is that the covers are often just so much better than the movies. Yep. The movies um, that could have been just two hours of that cover happening, yeah, are always yeah. like like yep. House, like 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 the with with Richard Mall. Oh, like no, the yeah, the one with what's his face from oh, Jesus, that guy. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> The the one the one with the rotting zombie hand ringing the doorbell on the cover yeah ah which yeah. nothing in that film stands up to that cover art which is so great uh and and as far as I know there's never even any doorbell ringing you know I mean there probably is but it's incidental it's not from a floating zombie hand that looks totally sweet so is wait is House the one where House Two is entitled the second story is subtitled the second story I think so that is so good because I feel like I feel like in th- the 80s to early 90s a lot of movies came out where they they nailed the cover art they got the like they got the tagline 
And then they, everything else was just like completely incidental. Well, and you, I, I really have to wonder, like, I, I assume basically the tagline and the cover stuff just happens at the end. And how much do you feel like the people in charge of that, like, is that is that the director and, and that's the one part they knocked out of the part? Or is that like, we found someone talented to be involved in this movie when it's too late? Yeah. I yeah. think it's that. I, I think it's, you know, the... The, the the movie is just like you know a B horror movie, but then they're like, oh, we found this like great artist, and like we want you to. It's like <laughs> they explain to him the movie, and the artist like draws like a single image of what he thinks or she thinks the movie should be, and then the movie isn't that. But <laughs> yeah. they're like, um, oh shit! I was a, I was about to be like, you know, they should just get the advertising guys to make the horror movies, but that is actually how we got Hausu, the Japanese. Uh, Japanese like sort of bonkers horror film. Yeah, was it was an advertising guy who made it. So um, was um. Oh no, wait, hang on. Am I? I think no. Deadpool was made by. Uh, there's a lot of like music video guys that end oh, up yeah, doing movies, yeah. and yeah, those movies yeah. end up being either surprisingly good or surprisingly awful. <laughs> like uh, Spun. Um, have you guys ever seen Spun? I have not. No, it's a crystal meth movie with like John Leguizamo and. Uh, not Jason Bateman. Jason Schwartzman. Wait, is that his name? That, that is Schwartzman. Dave. <laughs> there the is a from, man uh, named that. <laughs> the, guy, the guy from... Alan uh, Dershowitz, I think is... No. The, the guy from... Um, uh, what do you Rushmore? call him? Scott Pilgrim and Rushmore. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, David Schwimmer. David Schwimmer is what you're thinking of. Uh, no, no, no. That's the guy that played... Uh, <laughs> he was in Band of Brothers. Phoebe on... Uh, Oh, God, he was on Band of Brothers. That I tried watching Band of Brothers, and the second he came on screen, I'm like, I am out of... I, I, he just took me out of it completely. Um, they should get him to play Bob Ross in a, in a documentary yeah, sometime. Yeah. In a documentary, they should get him to play Bob Ross. You know, that, like you do. You cast <laughs> people to play other people in documentary <laughs> films. That's how documentaries work. Uh, oh, yeah. Speaking of um, horror movie covers and the movie we're doing, actually, um, I didn't even, I wasn't even considering watching this movie just because I didn't see any of the advertisements for it. I'm super glad I didn't watch the trailer. If you haven't seen this movie yet, A, go see it. B, don't watch the trailer because uh, the trailer is super spoilery. Um, which is dumb as hell. Like, I don't even know if you would know it's spoilery before watching it, but yeah. once you start watching the movie, if you had seen the trailer, you've you you, you you've seen, like, a solid chunk of the movie, which is just, like... Like, that that uh, that last scene where she's playing the piano is in the trailer. And, like, the scene really? where she, like, turns to him <laughs> and she's like, they know every... Or she, she, she turns to uh, Tom Hiddleston, uh, Lucille, and she's like, you know, she knows everything that's in the trailer. It's like, I mean... Like, the movie does, it, it, it is sort of like a paint-by-numbers <laughs> gothic horror thing, which is fun if you know what they're doing, but if you don't, it's just a spoiler. Yeah. Well, so, I will say that in the actual movie, she says something to Tom Hiddleston, implying, like, they're terrible plots. Like, literally, like, like maybe 15 minutes into the yeah, movie. But, yeah, but implying, you know, that's... <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I... Was, I Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, I, I, I also, I, I went into this totally blind. Which, which, once we decided we were watching it, I, I kind of prefer that. Like, I, I yeah. if I know I'm going to watch a movie, I would rather not know anything about it. Um, so I, I, I got to enjoy it. Like, I, I had literally no idea where he was going with this until I sat down and watched it and, uh, and enjoyed it. As a result, I think I would have been annoyed if I'd seen trailer stuff. Yeah, it worked out much better for this than hardware, <laughs> which we also went into blind. And um, why didn't we watch the trailer for that and then just like do a tune a podcast <laughs> saying, "No, this can't end well." 
But yeah, speaking of uh, horror movie covers, the reason um, like I, I I wanted to invite Mark was because I was just I was, I was sitting in like a car reading Twitter like on my way back from the store, and I saw that you Mark you were like in like an extended conversation on Twitter with uh, Priscilla Page about this. Um, yeah, BBW BFF, and um, if you like horror movies, and if you like horror movie VHS cover art, definitely, like, follow her on Twitter. Yeah, um, yeah. She is, she is, uh, really, like, a big horror buff. Um, and yeah, it seemed like you really knew what you were talking about, so I'm just like, hey, uh, that's a, that's a combination of things, uh, that should be, you know, on the podcast, because I, I don't, I, I hardly know dick about, uh, gothic horror. Josh, I don't know how much you know about the genre. Not, not much. Yeah. <laughs> I've read uh, most of Jane Eyre and a bunch of Poe, but that's <laughs> and I've seen the Adams Family a bunch of times. Ah, um, uh, the Adams Family, the classic <laughs> benchmark. Yes, of, of, of gothic, gothic horror. horror slash romance. Oh, and 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 uh, Death Becomes Her. I've also seen that. I have not seen that, but that is that is a VHS cover to conjure with. Yeah, like, yeah, it's a great movie too. That's that's one of those movies that. Um, that really is just like as 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 good I would say as like all of the hype for it. Um, I, I enjoy that movie a lot. That that yeah. had that had uh, the guy holding a, a candelabra through the hole in what Goldie Hawn's? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. It was Goldie yeah, Hawn gets like that was, the that was whole a great it was Bruce Willis. It was oh, yeah. Bruce Willis Jesus. as like not a Bruce Willis type character at all. He was just like a nerdy scientist sort yeah. of guy. They gave him like a little mustache? I think so, yeah. That's why I didn't remember him. He, he was wearing a disguise. The first time I saw it, I had no idea it was him. Although, then again, I, I, I probably have minor face blindness because um, <laughs> we were watching uh, The Flash, which I've been really enjoying. And uh, one of the characters, like there's a, two characters were talking. I recognize one of them. I turned to my wife. And like they're talking to each other like they know each other. And there's no set for the other. I'm like, who's that other character? And she's like, that's one of the main characters that's been on the show in every episode. But she's got her hair in a ponytail. <laughs> so you you probably don't recognize. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Dang it. Yeah, I have that a lot, too, um, where I'll be sitting next to my wife and somebody will appear on a show and she'll gasp. And then there's just this long pause where I'm like, okay, explain yourself. Who is this? I've never seen this person before in my life. <laughs> I, I, um, I, am, I am definitely the, the obnoxious recognizer uh, uh, in, in my marriage. And it's... Uh, I, I think I, I, we've tried to find the, the proper degree of I should point it out if it's actually genuinely interesting and not if I'm just saying, oh, hey, I recognized a person because that's just sort of like <laughs> disruptive. Uh, and yeah, it, it's, it's interesting to me the way that varies so much from person to person as just sort of like a uh, whatever little slice of, of brain tendency in like recognizing that stuff versus like eh, it's a face. It's a person. OK, I'm pretty sure that's a bipedal humanoid because, um, you know, it's like generally speaking – a movie or a TV show is going to work not based on the strength of someone's ability to say, oh, hey, I think I recognize that person from blah, 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 blah. I mean, obviously, recognizing the major through plot with the characters is fine. But if, like, you're depending on someone saying, oh, I'm good at spotting faces to, like, make your plot and story work, <laughs> you're probably, outside of some very, very specific, like, tricky little bits of, like, you know, subtle noir or something, you're probably doing yeah. something wrong anyway. So it's... It seems I of no Battle consequence. Star Galactica relied on, on, on that a bit. 
Um, yeah, as far as like recognizing some of the Cylons yeah, yeah, early because on. yeah, the, the the Cylons pop up like according to my wife at least the Cylons pop up <laughs> previously and then they're, they're well, revealed that, and I'm like yeah. that's more of a that's more of a thing where when it gets revealed it gets revealed though like it's not like they never explain oh wait that was the same person's face afterwards they're like oh my god it's the bar the toaster why you know. Anyway, so Crimson Peak. Crimson uh, Peak. This is starring uh, Pierce Brosnan. It's about a volcano. And no, no, you're thinking of Crimson Tide. Oh. Uh, uh, yes, this movie. I, I, I am. I'm getting the general vibe that you guys enjoyed this. Uh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I a, a big part of it was seeing it in the theater. I, I uh, rewatched it at home. Uh, you know, just because I, I own a projector legally uh and um yeah it, it wasn't as as good like the theater experience really added a lot to it which is why i think yeah. people listening to this should you know don't wait till it comes out on netflix go actually see it in you know a big dark theater it is a big visual and and an audio film it's got a lot of really nice stuff done up like well i mean it's guillermo del toro so like that's that's the one thing i knew going in it was like oh it's him okay this is gonna this is going to look good. This is going to sound good. This is going to have nice visuals. This is going to be well thought out visually. Yeah, like it's it's a completely, completely different movie from, you know, Pacific Rim, but it's got that same kind of like virtuosic composition that he does where like there there's just a lot of thought put into everything that's on the screen at any point in time. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I would say, you know, I I, I liked it. Uh, I enjoyed watching it. It's not something that I would think of as, oh yeah, this is this is why Guillermo del Toro makes movies. Like in that sense, I I was not super impressed with it as like a film, uh, but I really enjoyed watching it. Yeah, um, and in that sense, I would sort of compare it more to Pacific Rim than some of the stuff that would seem like a closer comparison from his filmography. Like you know stuff like Pan's Labyrinth or uh, The Devil's Backbone. Um, tonally, this has a little bit more in common with. It's not literally giant robots fighting giant monsters, uh, but this feels more like a hey, I had a cool idea for a movie. Let's do a thing rather than here is a you know dark and complicated story told with a great deal of emotional heft and also some cool visuals that are sort of monstrous. Right. I mean, this it, movie it's a uh, it, it's sort of like a collage piece uh, of, of influences. Um, Kind of like in the same way Pacific Rim was, where there's just like you, you there's like all of this, you know, um, you got you know like the, the the Jane Eyre sort of thing. You you got parts of Rebecca and and all of that sort of stuff that you know is assembled into a movie, and then like his own imagination, uh, you know, feeding like stuff like the ghosts and the actual effects and and, and the visuals. Um, more than it is just like this, you know, completely original, uh, you know, burst from his head sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, I would say, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was like, one thing that kind of makes me think of is that how often you get movies that come out where people are like, oh, this is inspired by X or this is inspired by Y. And then there's not really, it's like, oh, this is just a movie you made that happens to deal with this tangentially with vampires or something like that uh it's not really a pastiche of this genre whereas when when del toro does these movies it very much like you can very much tell he is a student of whatever he's doing 
Like what it like it is very much um from the ground up kind of built in the genre. Yeah, there's a lot of sort of self awareness and clear sort of love for the stuff that's informing it. Yeah. Uh, now, now here's a question. Do you guys, do you f- think this is a horror film or a gothic romance film? I, I think it's a gothic horror is what I think. I, it's, I, I don't know what I think. Like, like it's, it's a horror film in terms of some of the elements, certainly. I mean, you can't get away from like creepy skeleton ghosts threatening and maybe trying to kill, uh, without it being a little bit of a horror movie at that point, you know, and, and it's it's definitely playing on its awareness of the idea of gothic horror as, you know, a genre. Yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of ways there's also like bait and switch elements to it where it's like set up as though, you know, like the, she's being haunted by these ghosts and it's a movie like, you know, you know, the house is all like, get out, like, you know, Amityville Horror or um, what was that other one that we did that that was really good? The recent one, The Conjuring? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, The Conjuring or something like that. But then like you slowly realize over the course of the movie that all of the ghosts are on her side. And even though they're like horrifying and scaring the crap out of her, they're trying to save her from what is going to happen to her in there. And right. it's and you know the real the the, the real monster is man. Um, <laughs> it's man. Uh, yeah, exactly. It turns out it's man. <laughs> yeah, there was um, uh, on rewatch. There was this one little thing that I never noticed um, when I watched it the first time, which is uh, you know like that. There's there's a part where. You know, uh, Tom Hiddleston, and I'm just, I'm going to be referring to him as Tom Hiddleston through this entire podcast. I'm sorry. Um, I just call him he's just like telling her that, you know, when the windows are sealed and there's the chimney and the east wind comes by and the house like breathes and, you know, that makes this big, you know, racket in the wind. So um, when Lucille like leaves her keys unattended and goes to make tea for, uh, for Edith. And Edith, Edith like is going to like sneakily like sneak the uh, Enola key off of the key ring. When she picks up the keys, when Lucille isn't looking, the house makes that sound the moment she picks up her keys and covers up the sound of the jangling keys as she disconnects the key. And it was just like little oh. things like that just slowly make you realize that, you know, maybe intentionally or not, that the, the house is is helping her. That, like, the haunted house doesn't want her in there, not because she's, like, transgressed in some way, but because she's in danger. Yeah, yeah. The the scary ghost that comes out of the closet that has the wax cylinders in it. Yeah, uh, I love that ghost just because it really, really looks like she opened the door to, on somebody taking a dump, and they're like, <laughs> "Come on!" <laughs> um. Yeah, like before, because uh, Del Toro put out that like short essay for critics being like it's not a horror movie and then i feel like a lot of the initial reviews talked about how not scary it was and i'm a terrible barometer for that because i get scared at like it like uh, i get scared at everything so um did you did you find the did you find the film scary at points yes yeah, but that absolutely. is that's also like i don't even know like like are i feel like if i watched are you afraid of the dark right now I would probably like have have frightened moments therein. <laughs> um, I don't know what it is, but like like the conventions of like movie horror works extremely well. well I mean, it's me. a, there's a reason they're the conventions of movie horror. That's you true. Know, they work well on a whole lot of people. I, I me and Yakov have talked about this a couple times, but I feel like I feel like I have 
killed a part of my brain to some extent that's in charge of that and it's it's kind of a bummer like it's not hugely a bummer because i enjoy watching horror movies and i enjoy sure, being sure. able to you know basically enjoy them rather than enjoy them you know whereas my wife yeah. still gets you know much more anxious at like you know good hollywood horror tropism uh so we tend to have somewhat different experiences and she tends to only once in a while be like hey you want to watch a horror movie uh right right but 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 yeah, it's, it's weird. So I, I end up watching these things, and it's not that like I experience no tension or whatnot. Like I enjoy a good thrill ride, and every once in a while I get actually a little bit unsettled after you know a horror movie. But but it tends to be kind of academic for me. And so I yeah. watched this, and I, I didn't really, I don't, I don't recall ever being like, oh god. But I don't think this film film was trying as hard to like really lay that on anyway. It was much more. Yeah, like it yeah. had moments rather than like. Well, I have a question. Are you scared of ghosts? Me. Me. Either. I mean, no, no, Josh. I mean, Josh, you said you, you weren't scared by this, but are, are you I'm, a person who is scared of ghosts? I, I'm not. Like I, IRL? I, I'm, not, I'm not a person who, who actually credits the existence of goats in IRL. No, 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 so. no, no, no. They don't have to exist for you to be scared of them. Well, this that, is a, <laughs> I, it, it, I guess for me, it's sort of what is the same. I'm not not saying that I can't be scared of an abstract concept, but the idea of being scared of ghosts as sort of a collective idea no i i don't i don't i don't in any way believe in their you know ability to exist so being scared of them is not something i'll have an op- opportunity to do i guess like that's the degree to which i'm like no ghosts aren't real is like ghosts aren't real and i'm not going to change my mind on the subject just because i'm in a spooky house you know it's like it's right. no there's, there's, i can't really get behind conceiving of being scared of them i can be scared of like a situation that someone could attribute to ghosts that's actually just a freaky, exciting, inducing <laughs> lack of information situation. Like if I was trapped in a scary house for no reason, that would bother me, but not because I expected a ghost to show up, just because like I'm, what the fuck is going on at the moment, you know? I don't know. Is that is that an answer? Yes, it's it's an answer, definitely. Um <laughs> but yeah, no, but no, the I'm wrong like totally one. scared Be of ghosts. Afraid of ghosts. Yeah. No, yeah, the, the movie um, definitely, like, when I saw it in the theater, it definitely scared me, but I also am, like, absolutely scared of ghosts, so it, it, it sort of hit all, like, the right buttons for that, like, especially, and, like, not necessarily, like, the monster stuff as much as, like, the, you know, like, dread sort of stuff, like, yeah. when she's, um, yeah. You know, when she's just, like, reading about uh, about uh, Allerdale Hall, good thing she just happened to have a book about it. Um, <laughs> and, like, the door, like, you know, she's, like, like the door knob starts going, and then it just flips the fuck out as the door opens yeah. and there's nothing behind that. Like, that was terrifying. That was a great scene. I liked that. Like, yeah. like, like that is a good example of, yeah, I was like, oh, man. But but also I was like oh man academically speaking that's a really good handling of a creepy do- ghost doorknob situation. <laughs> yeah. But it was that was a really nice scene. I like I'm I'm with you on everything except for the part where I don't know except for the part where I'm dead inside. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> that's why I'm not scared of ghosts. It's because I am a ghost this whole time. <laughs> uh, well, there's a there's actually also a really interesting like formal thing that he did throughout, which I was actually wondering if this maybe impacted people being like, oh, it's not that scary, even though it was coming after things that I found objectively like extremely emotion like dreadful, um, in the in the sense of being full of dread. But um, when you have these moments where that would be, I don't know if I don't know if it would technically be a jump scare, but for instance, when her uh, deceased mother's did uh a, like bust through the door basically and then like holds a short conference with her 
inches from her face, he has a tendency to show you a, a like a horrifying thing, and then instead of cutting away, you just it just stays there. Yeah, and like with every ghost that you see that is like horribly mangled or what have you throughout, he does not cut away, and then you have a period of time where you're just kind of getting used to being like, oh, there's like there's a skeleton with an axe in its head, but it's like clearly trying to communicate something. Yeah. And I wonder if maybe like by, I feel like he's probably trying to say notably that the ghosts are not the threat in this film, but additionally that maybe by getting acclimated to seeing these grotesqueries, uh, it takes away when you think back, it takes away a bit of the punch of the original. Um, possibly. Yeah, she, she, like, Edith definitely gets used to the presence of ghosts and at some point just stops being scared of them. Like, toward the end, uh, where, like, the ghost with the baby shows up just floating in the, in the middle of the house, she is not, she doesn't seem to be scared of it at all. She's just like, all right, we are uh, clearly on the same page at this point. Give me a hand over here. And then the ghost points out the, uh, incest hand job going on yeah um, yeah that's his kind of like dude you 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 better go down that way you gotta check that hallway out well and i thought that was interesting too because that 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 little scene with the ghost sort of pointing this way was prefigured by that like dream or whatever i'm trying to oh, remember the slender man dream yeah, yeah which that, had the exact same that, that was that was so probably much. my favorite visual in the whole film and like, yeah. like this is a beautiful film and there's a bunch of great stuff both sort of freaky ghost stuff freaky ghost um and uh sorry i just had a little bust and jumped into my head um have you guys i should not get into a swerve on have you bust and makes Bustin, me feel yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll include in the the write-up or something uh but yeah so so that uh you know you know lots of freaky stuff lots of really nice set design and costume design but that something about that specific image of the sort of yeah slender man ghost pointing and then bringing that back with the the pointing to the uh the incest sexy times. Yeah. What I, I so the, the scene is that it, it's, it's a dream and it, it's the movie. I think the movie makes it very clear that she's having a dream. Um, and she's standing in a field, possibly like in like the barren fields outside of Allerdale. Uh, so Allerdale hall, it's, it's, is it Allerdale hall or Allerdale Abbey? Whatever, whatever it is. It's, Downton it's, Abbey. You know, it's the, called the Downton big, Abbey. Yeah. It's the big creepy Gothic house in the middle of nowhere in Cumberland, England. Um, and she's standing, I guess, like, just out in the field, like, facing away from the house, so there's just nothing that's there. And there's this just sort of human-ish shape, but that's just, like, black flowing sort of thing. Like, it, it doesn't actually look like the ghosts you we've seen before, because it's more abstract. Like, yeah. there's 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 anatomy right. to it, but there's not, like, a face, and, yeah. like, there's not, like, musculature. It's more willowy. Just, yeah, exactly. And then it just sort of points out to the left, and then she wakes up, but it's... You can't tell how far away. You can tell that it's far away, but you can't tell how far away it is. So you can't tell the scale, and so it. There's like part of it makes it seem like this thing is enormous, like it, it's huge, and and yeah. and. But it might not be. It but it might be just like normal size and a bit closer. But because it's just like this weird sort of like dreamy thing that they made just by screwing with perspective. And I yeah, that was really just the beautiful sort of setup there. Yeah. I, so, how do I? But God, yes. Uh, I, I had something in the chamber, and I've completely lost track of it now. What else did you guys think about some aspects of this film we watched? <laughs> um, 
I, I think uh, when Mark and I were talking about this brought up that like a bunch of this movie feels like a point and click adventure game. <laughs> Phantasmagoria three. Yeah, yeah, which is like <laughs> delightful. Like, you know, she finds these wax cylinders and now you have these wax cylinders in your inventory and then you gotta get the key off the thing without the person noticing, and then you have to find the thing the key unlocks, and that's what the gramophone is in. Yeah. And I, I sort of like that like sort of like procedural aspect to it of her like discovering things bit by bit when waking up every night from the uh, the tea and oh man the tea I, yes. they, <sighs> okay they, so there there are things in like i i understand like i, I feel like i'm on board with the story as a whole with the conceit of this story especially as a story that is sort of like a self-referential story like it's a story about a woman who's writing a book about ghosts and there's a romantic subplot and then the movie is about ghosts and there's a romantic subplot and so okay yes plus we're they, and they the ghosts are a it. metaphor yeah well exactly as you know, they point out the, many the ghosts times. are a metaphor for the ghosts who appear in the 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 narrative of the film uh but you know, we also open like they 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 straight up open with like the you know ending uh, moments of the, the the narrative. You know, so it's it's not like it's even framed as a surprise that she ends up bloody in the snow because like that's how she straight up opens the film, and then they bring it back around with the exact same line. It's, so the whole thing feels like I the the film was not being coy, particularly I think about its sort of nature as a sort of riff on gothic horror and romance. You know, so there's, I have no complaints about the fact that it was structurally what it was, but it was still kind of dumb at times, and <laughs> and and in a way that I don't think it necessarily had to be. So I, I have this real mixed, like two track opinion about the film. Where on the one hand, I'm like I'm totally on board with the idea that you're just you're playing around with the idea of a sort of self referential gothic horror story here, and so the fact that everything that happens in it fits that mold is perfect. You know, I'm totally on board with the idea that this could, in theory, have been something that someone wrote in the mid 19th century as a, you know, gothic horror romance, whatever, you know, some sort of Mary Shelley uh, follow on. Uh, but on the other hand, it's still kind of dumb at times. Like it's it's kind of a dumb story at times and stupid things happen and characters fail to take care of themselves. And you're kind of like, why? Uh, and I've been trying to sort of suss out my feelings between those two parallel reactions to the film like ever since i've seen it yeah did now did you see you did you see it in a theater yeah yeah because i think actually one of the 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 most fun things about it watching it in a, in a theater was that there were moments where the audience started laughing because of the things on screen yeah. were seemed so on the nose with like people making extremely dumb decisions or like like lucille is so obviously antagonistic and towards uh, Edith so early on yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's so on the nose that like uh, people just began cracking up. Additionally, there was a great moment when, uh, when Edith comes to uh, Tom's workshop and they're like starting to make out and there's just a slow pan from them, like kind of getting hot and heavy on a workbench over to an enormous pile of doll heads. It's <laughs> <laughs> just sitting yeah. there. They're like, uh, that they one, and then um, when uh, Lucille and Edith are like talking about uh, Lucille and Tom Hiddleston's history in the house, and they're just like, and then Lucille like sees the the painting of their mother. She's like, "Oh, is that their mother?" And Lucille's like, "Yes, that that that's our mother." And then it pans up to like this almost like caricaturishly evil <laughs> painting of this creepy old woman. I it was yeah. I mean that that was like I mean that was almost like Adam's family esque. I think yeah yeah. <laughs> um, and then there was, but, there was another part when um, 
after uh, after uh, what do you call it? Edith and Tom Hiddleston finally uh, what do you call it? Um, consummate their marriage in the post office basement hotel room um and then they get back and lucille like flips the fuck out and like almost hits her with a cast iron pan full of like that disgusting looking food um and then you know she like smashes this pan down next to her and she like flips out she's just like and then she just sort of gains her like you know creepy psychotic composure and then she's just like i was just so worried about you and then she goes from like angry to just like kind of stuttering and regaining her composure and he's like i don't feel well and then lucille's like oh i'll make you some tea and then just walks right away that was i i love that like the entire tea thing was worth it just like for that also, that when she's trying to regain her composer, she starts picking up clumps of the food that have, like, spilled out in her hands and, like, kind of crushing them while putting them back in the pan. The implication is that that food is, like, extremely hot and then she's doing it with her hands, right? Is that yeah. what that was implying? Because, yeah, both of the siblings have, like, a, a like astounding resilience to pain. Because, uh, you know, they, she, you know, she does that... Um, Edith has to, like, really hack at Lucille's hand when she's holding the elevator shut to get it off. Tom Hiddleston gets stabbed, literally stabbed in the face, through the <laughs> face, and is just sort of like, oh, ow, that that hurt. And, and yeah, meanwhile, like, Charlie Hunnan uh, gets just, like, one stab under the armpit, and he's just, like, walking around in, like, the most dramatic, like, death well, scene. He's, he's really, he's got nothing if he's not in this giant robot. That's the thing. Yeah. The thing you don't understand about him. It's like, yeah, he's really come to depend on a kaiju to... He is if he had a kaiju, almost entirely he would have sorted that whole mansion situation out. Yeah, he's, yeah, yeah. Actually, I, I, I like that. I, I, I liked how useless he was just because they made it so clear that, yeah. like, the only... The only thing that he did that was useful was, like, get the people at the post office to come to the house um, yeah. when the storm stopped. And even that only worked because of, like, a coincidence. Um, but other than that, he's just like, it's like, um, we talked about this last week in The Shining, uh, when Scatman Crothers uh, shows up to, to rescue them and then just gets immediately axed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, he's here to save you. To, to the extent that it's driving the narrative back to, to Edith sort of having to just deal, you know, that works well. Uh, I, I I find Charlie Hunnam a little bit annoying. Just so it, and it's not his fault or anything. And I know plenty of people don't, but, but for whatever reason, like I just, I, I kind of like, eh, Heath Ledger died, didn't he? You know, it's, it's like, <laughs> but, but that's terrible, but like, it's kind of like, I just don't quite click with the, the guy and his like specific style. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and it, and it, so like it, him showing up and being useless is a little bit, <laughs> more annoying than if it was someone who I kind of liked but was getting where they go in with a character because I feel like maybe I was like rooting against him earlier than I should have been. Uh, I as mean, far it, as that it goes. worked in Pacific Rim because his character was kind of like this, you know, obstinate bonehead who was just like super good at robot fighting. But in this movie, where he's supposed to be like a medical doctor slash armchair detective, yeah, it, it didn't work. <laughs> and also, I don't know what accent he was doing. I have no idea what was going on with his voice in this movie was he I, supposed to be english i would just love to see a movie where he's he's or any any form of media where he speaks in his actual real voice i feel like he got ursula like someone <laughs> stole his real voice <laughs> and then he had to do jacks for like seven years and so the voice he has now is always this kind of weird like uh, thing 
that uh that I, I I feel like that's my major problem with him is that every time I hear him I it just seems like he's doing an extremely fake voice. Um I, I wanna also <laughs> the armchair detective thing where they're all gathered around, they're like, Yeah, he must have Jim Beaver must have slipped and hit his head and his head is like gone. <laughs> <laughs> like, like he slipped several times in a row is what happened. He's like, Oh man, I hit my head, struggles to get back up the whoops and after the fifth yeah, or sixth time, he just stayed down. Well, he was hanging from the ceiling and he fell off. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think that was one of the moments where you're supposed to, like, uh, you're supposed to laugh a little just because yeah. it's like. Well, yeah. And, and when, I, when I say some of the film was dumb, I don't mean to imply that I, I think, oh, you know, sure, it was sure. accidentally dumb in some ways. But I think it was also a little bit like, I don't know, a little bit sloppy. Like the the, the, the detective thing, I guess. Part part of what bothered me is like like with the detective thing they established that okay this is the guy who likes Edith who maybe Edith doesn't really like I mean she likes him fine but like you know there's sort of like a one way attraction thing implied here uh, and, and and then he sort of coming into like B plot rescue mode of trying to figure things out and track her down and, and make sure she was okay and they planted the seed of like the Sherlock Holmes thing with uh, her looking at the book and him oh, yeah. well, it's you like, know it's like, Doyle oh, so was an ophthalmologist Sherlock Holmes book fancy yourself a detective it's like do you just like randomly pick a book off of the shelf and be like oh so this is what you're about it's like a Daniel Steele novel huh well to, to be fair when she does that at someone's house and they're a software engineer and there's like you know C++ book she's like oh fancy yourself oh yeah okay so she just sort of like yeah yeah, but no. So so they they they, they lay this groundwork just sparingly for the detective thing, and then they sort of have him do a little bit of detectiving. But it's like it's like not enough to like make it really an interesting part of his character or like an actual like developed part of the story. It's just sort of like this. Hey, we'll multiple multiple times just sort of like kind of reference the idea of being a detective amateur. I mean, there but then was really a detective in this movie and it wasn't him. Yeah, I know. It's like <laughs> it's like at that point it's like I'm going to go hire the guy from uh from uh, Torchwood. Yeah, that that's that's how Sherlock Holmes did it. Uh so yeah, it's, it's like and and it's well, I mean, yeah, I mean he's Detective Watson and that guy's Sherlock Holmes, right, I guess. Right, right, right. I mean, the Professor Dr. Watson, Jesus. Um <laughs> He could have been a doctor of anthropology or something, you know. Um, yeah, no. It's, so I, I guess that, that's an example of something in the film that felt like it was it was kind of just like a surface thing tossed in, and they tossed it in conspicuously enough that I expected something more to come of it, and then nothing right. ever did. Well, he like he looks at Charlie Beaver's totally wrecked skull, and at some point, it looks like he's like finding a grain of something, and you think he's going to be like, "My God." this is the red clay or something like that that would connect it back. But instead he's just like, dude, somebody beat the shit out of this guy. <laughs> I, oh, speaking of uh, Jim Beaver's murder, what I really liked was that, you know, you get like the first setup scene in the, um, in the, uh, what do you call it? In the bathroom where he's like being waited on. He's shaving with like, you know, his, this, you know, really conspicuous straight razor. And then he puts the straight razor down and the camera pans to the straight razor, sort of. But it's also, it's supposed to be like, you know, the, uh, it was supposed to be like the sink flooding, but it like definitely centers in a straight razor. And then he drops the straight razor and then he's just like brutally beaten <laughs> against the sink. I really enjoyed like that sort of switch. It was, it was, um, it was some cute misdirection. Yeah. Like I was just like, oh, well, he's got to get his throat. Oh, nope. No, he isn't. It's <laughs> yeah. It's like a, it, was, it was like a boardwalk empire level of uh, violence, like just briefly yeah. in the movie. 
it yeah, a lot of the stuff I like a lot of the stuff that I really liked about this film was that it did if if you told me, oh, this was based on a a novella from a gothic novella, uh it would make a lot of sense to me just because a lot of the choices would make sense in a previous era but kind of don't na- like Buffalo being the city that he goes to. That, like, this is all centered around Buffalo being a industrial powerhouse yeah. that you would go to to get money for clay mining. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> uh, like I don't think I've ever seen period Buffalo in a movie before. Uh, and then, yeah, there's a lot of... I was actually talking to my, my wife about, uh, about this movie in terms of gothic horror and gothic novels and... That is something that I didn't think about where that like, like American heiresses marrying rich or marrying, uh, members of the peerage who, uh, had big houses and no money. And then them going to those remote houses and not knowing how to do anything (laughs) was like an actual thing that happened for like 40 years. Um, which which kind of is a it's an interesting thing historically. I mean, that happens in Downton Abbey, doesn't it? Is isn't the, is isn't the guy that runs? I mean, he's not broke, but like his 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 wife is like an American heiress. Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And that was a that was a whole that was a whole period of time when uh, uh, the daughters of American industrialists and merchants uh, kind of bought out the peerage. Um, but it's and also there's just a very I like gothic romance is very concerned with uh, elements that are generally considered like feminine and more like a lot of the times more about anxiety than fear, like a lot of class anxiety um, and then also just the anxiety that there's a possibility that you'd marry a guy who you really like and he turns out to be a monster, yeah. which is which is both obviously in this case, he's like like he's Tom in this movie, but in the, in the larger thing, it's like stories of domestic abuse and things like that, where that is, that is still a threat, uh, to, to women. But, um, I want to, I want to talk a, a little bit about the, uh, the brother and the sister in this Lucille and, and, and Tom, uh, it, it is convenient, by the way, that you want to call him Tom Hiddleston and his character named Tom, so we can just sort of be short, and then yeah, people don't yeah. know whether or not we're actually talking about the character. Uh, but yes, uh, Thomas Sharp. And I'd Lucille like to make Sharp. clear, I am at all points talking about the actor, and the, it is the actor Tom Hiddleston who is in this movie as yes. the character. Well, I saw, I saw you tweet something like, you know, he was literally manufactured uh to be in this movie, yeah, in this yeah, movie. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, he, he, the, his he, life has been leading up to him being in this. Yeah, he, he is a great, great casting choice for the specific character uh, they had him playing, and and for the various aspects of that character. You know, he he, he makes the good uh, romantic lead gentleman. He makes the good secretly a dark person thing. He even makes a good mournful ghost regretting in death the tumultuous nature of his life and the betrayal of this woman who he cared about. You know, like he's perfect. Um, yeah. But then he's a good like... ran out of money for the CGI for his ghost or they just didn't care because it was the end of the movie. Did you did you think it wasn't very good? Yeah, I thought it was just that. Was... I thought it was on par with the rest of the film, honestly. 
Really? Yeah. Well, I, I, okay. Here's the thing. I thought all the all the skeletal ghosts were nicely done, but they also really looked mm-hmm. like you know someone said, "Hey, let's do some CGI skeletal ghosts." Like yeah. there was something about it. It never quite got yeah. to the realm of being fantastical to the point where I wasn't thinking, "Hey, that's some nice CGI." I guess. And I thought his ghost was fine as far as that goes too. It felt like about on par to me. Was what was there something in particular that stood out to you as crappy? Um, it just it looked like the ghost of a mannequin. Well, okay, so compared to the rest of the ghosts, they got to do all sorts of terrible things to rotten skeletal faces, whereas Tom Hiddleston had to look like Tom Hiddleston. I guess, but I mean, I guess that that's just part of the thing that I'm just like not putting any thought into because putting it, the movie will not reward you overthinking these ghosts. <laughs> like, does the ghost get grosser as time goes on? I don't. I guess. Uh, like, he also, Tom Hiddleston looked pretty bad for like he'd been dead at that point for twenty minutes or so. Yeah, and he was already looking like sort of like uh, sort of rotting porcelain, if that makes sense. But the soil there is so so rich in <laughs> like that might be an element <laughs> that you know, the vapors from the the bleeding walls. God, I I that's one of those things. Like a, I don't know how they would have been able to pull that off in written fiction and not visually just like the like the you know the Allerdale Hall is called Crimson Peak because there's this uh crimson clay under the whole thing and that's like the only sorts of money that they can get and uh or that they can get so he's building like this giant apocalyptic machine uh, to mine it, but then the clay also like seeps through everything. So when he like he he you know he carries her over the uh, the threshold. Is, is that what, is that what it's called? Yes. The doorstep, the, yes, whatever the it is. And then he's just like, "Welcome to your shitty house." And like, there's <laughs> leaves falling through the big uh, hole, hole in, in the, the roof, roof yeah. which I love. And he's just like, "Oh yeah." By the way, the clay comes up through the floor, and he just like presses his foot down on one of the floorboards, and it just oozes blood. Basically, <laughs> it's like the red clay and like liquidy. But the house is like clearly bleeding, and then um, he's just like, "Oh yeah, by the way, the pipes run red." Um, uh, but you know, then then it'll be fine. And she's like in this creepy bathroom, and she turns the water on, and you see like the heater like starts smacking against the wall, like you know, shuddering in the pipes, and then it's just like like a torrent of blood bursts out of the uh, <laughs> out of the uh, out of the tap, and then it turns into regular water. And I just I, I loved all that. And like, yeah, I think all the way at the end. When they're in the basement and the walls are just straight up bleeding, just like they, well, they the look kitchen. like they're inside of an intestine. The kitchen has that too, and I don't know how in fiction you'd write like. Meanwhile, <laughs> blood red clay like just drain down the walls without it just being like too over the top. Yeah, it's, it, it would sound like it's hard not to think like this is some hammy Lovecraftian prose right here, and and then the blood of the clay. Yeah, yeah, or like actually a parody. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, that, to, to be, to be fair, basement. though, I think there's there, there's some scene setting there that really matters for the flow of a story. Like, like, did you ever read uh, the actual short story, 1408, the Stephen King short story? They ended no. up making that John Cusack movie about it, which I, I haven't seen. Um, well, it, it was like I, I knew of it because I knew they had made the Cusack film. And, and, and I like Stephen King well enough, but I've really fallen off in my reading of him in like the last 10 years compared to reading the hell out of him when I was like uh, a teenager especially. Um, but I ended up reading the short story there. And it's like, okay, the whole th- idea is this is a s- reporter going in to spend the night in a spooky hotel room because it's supposedly haunted and terrible things have happened there and he's all skeptical and whatever. It's like, yeah, I'm going to go do it. Basically, you know, just like, uh, I spent a night in a haunted hotel room. 
And so you know that he's going in skeptical. You know basically as a Stephen King story, especially if you've seen a little bit of marketing for the movie, that it will actually turn out to be a scary haunted hotel room. And so like it's a perfect setup for just going in cynically and being like, uh, this is just going to be like, oh, and then scary things happen. But it was really fucking effective. At one point like a scary painting comes to life and a a freaky looking woman turns uh, – like bare chested to the author, you know, writing this story. And it's the sort of thing that sounds like it would be the dumbest fucking most obvious thing. But I was fucking creeped out like this, like, like as much as I say, Oh, I don't really get scared at movies. You know, some good horror fiction can really get me. And this was literally, I mean, it was a, and then blood came out of the walls sort of moment in terms of like, right, right. it would seem like it's not going to work. Uh, and yet it did. So I, I don't want to write off the possibility that this, the visuals of this film could end up working transfigured into text, but at the same time, it would be hard. Maybe like, I, I guess yeah. what I'm trying to say is I'm not a good writer, <laughs> and <laughs> I would not know how to write this. Uh, write it to be able to make it look good. Yeah, I think it, it would uh, take it would take a, a different skill set for sure. You couldn't just literally describe the visuals of this film and not come off hammy. What are those tubs in the basement? Uh, the, the circular where, ones? Yeah, the, the one where she, like, grabs that, like, big metal stick and, like, you know, sort of swirls it around in there and it looks like, you know, it's a bunch of blood and you think she's going to get pulled in or something, but then she doesn't. But then yeah, that I don't know. Like, up. I, 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 they, would, my, I would have... My theory is that, like, you know, because he's constantly saying that the house is, like, constantly at risk of falling in, which, A, I got, I, I was mad at the end that the house wasn't destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and because, you yeah, know, I thought like, you know, the machine, you know, because she turns on the machine and like the big climactic final battle. And then like I thought, you know, the machine would like overload and all of a sudden, you know, like the house just sinks into the clay and blood and stuff. But yeah, maybe pulls out some happens. load bearing yeah, clay. I, so, yeah, I, I can't tell if those things are like directly underground and like they sort of like maybe relieve the pressure and the, that keeps the house afloat, but I don't know if that's how physics works. Yeah, I, I don't know what the deal yeah. with is. If they had established those as being somehow part of like a clay rendering scheme or whatever the yeah. fuck that would be. But yeah, it seems like they just sort of didn't say it. So maybe they're just like uh, murder vats. But then it's not like there was a body in each one as far as I can tell. It seemed like it was just – the implication is that one of the women was killed by maybe so drowning was her. That, do you think that was a real skeleton? I I I don't know. I don't know what to make of the metaphysics of this movie. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I guess I don't really think it's a real skeleton because I think it also it was a little bit mobile, or was it totally? I, I did can't. It just, I can't tell if it was moving or if like the clay was just sinking in, like. Like, it was, like, full of clay when it came up, but then the clay was coming out of it, so it looked like, so, you know, like, the holes in it started opening up more just because the clay was oozing out as the skeleton was, was yeah. rising up. Yeah, so I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. It, it seems like it could have gone either way. It could have been a ghost sort of having a ghosty moment. It could have been literally the skeleton of the woman who was killed by sticking her in a vat of red clay. Uh, Do you think that I, I thought I, I I was assuming that that was just how they disposed of the body and then they just killed her by you know whatever means the, like either yeah. she died of the, yeah, of the poison maybe. or they just bashed her head in maybe yeah well and that's what the thing I was wondering is like we've got one in there is each one of these does this have a body in it like you know maybe that's how they decided to dispose of bodies which seems like kind of a dumb thing but you know it's it's what it is uh, yeah I, I like that. The, the house is sinking into the clay, and so he's digging clay directly out of his basement. <laughs> like, that seems like a really shitty idea. 
Also, <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't realize that that machine was digging directly into that vault until until she escapes through it. And then I was like, "Yeah, that's load bearing clay, man." <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't, I don't totally understand how his machine was supposed to work. Because obviously, obviously, it works by scooping. But the machine itself didn't seem mobile, and if it's just a fixed track going like that, it's 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 going to scoop out whatever is in its range, and then it's going to be out of scooping. Like, was it? Did it? Did you get the impression that thing was going to roll at all? Like, were they going to just I, move I, it a I, foot I was sort every of under hour? the assumption that they would have built that thing on wheels because, like, why wouldn't you? Yeah, but yeah, the, um, the movie yeah. didn't really oh, give us. So here's a question. Um, so the. The the scene when uh, this is like shortly after uh, Edith moves in and um, you know she she sees like a ghost or something. I think she sees the uh, their mom's ghost like in the bathtub with the hatchet. Yeah, and yeah. Then she goes to confront Tom about it as he's like working on the machine, and then she's just like, "I saw like you know a ghost of a woman with a hatchet in her head," and he like you know clearly knows what's up. And then he's just like, "Oh well, you know, hey, I'm kind of busy on this like machine right now." And then he shoves his hand into like some nether part of it and immediately burns. It. And then the next thing you know, she's like he- stitching him up. Did he do that on purpose to distract her? Maybe. Yeah. I that was that was my read of it that he he knew that the steam was going to come out of there, and he basically jammed his hand in there so that they could stop talking about. Because otherwise, it was just <laughs> like you know I, one of those things where you hear like comedians talking about like you know guys with like a mattress on the hood of their car, like holding it down with their hand. <laughs> it's like there's what what could he possibly do with his like soft little hand shoving into like the nether of this you know clanking machine? See, but I don't know though because like it it seemed like it was a part failure was the idea with that steam thing, and then later he gets a part that's maybe going to make everything better that was like a steam regulator valve or something. So. It's it's unclear to me whether that was literally the intention or not, and that's that's kind of goes back to what at several moments in the film sort of left me like eh. like I'm not sure I'm not sure the storytelling here is exactly tight, you know, down to the moment to moment details. Like I, I wish I'd written them down. I I, uh, I probably should have sat down and actually rewatched it. Uh, because there were a couple other moments that sort of bugged me in the same way, and I, I feel like that's that's a general weakness of the film is it feels like. It really focused on the cool stuff that, and the sort of like larger formal structure of stuff that Del Toro was excited about, uh, somewhat at the expense of really nailing the details in a way that I would want from a a really careful, really smart uh, sort of take on this this story. Yeah, I think Del Toro would agree with you. Yeah, and, and he's he he doesn't seem to be someone who's like you know up his own shit and thinking that he is uh, amazing about everything. Like, like, like he definitely defended Pacific Rim more on the basis of, Hey, I was making a giant movie, you know, movie with, with giant robots fighting giant monsters. Not like, what do you mean? It doesn't make sense. I mean, yeah, no, no, you can totally <laughs> see my, yeah. You know, he's... Yeah. I, uh, I liked it at the end after he finally got his machine working and he, he confronts Edith. He's like, yeah, well, or he confronts uh, Lucille and he's like, yeah, it's going to be great. We can all live together. We'll get a house with some guys. And it's like, dude, you just you just stabbed that guy before. You just <laughs> admitted to her that you murdered like several women. I don't think she's still going to be down for your like cohabitation scheme. Yeah, it's <sighs> so those characters that, 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 that 
I was going here before, but but especially specifically Lucille and Thomas, they've got this relationship. And this is one of the things that I thought was sort of interesting about the film was like the revelation that at the end of the day, despite all the actually legitimately supernatural stuff going on, the nature of their relationship and their being bound to this house seems to be fundamentally entirely just a very human psychological thing. Like it, the, my take was that there was nothing, there was nothing keeping them in this house other than their super fucked up codependent uh, incestuous relationship. Did you yeah. get this? Uh, yeah, yeah. And also just Lucille's uh, just like horrifying fear that like, if she, like, she seems to be incredibly uncomfortable out of the house and she seems to be afraid that like anytime she's not in the house, she's at risk of being institutionalized again. So I, I think that was a large part of it because she is definitely like – like the the scenes – she's either – like she was never not in the house. The only time she's not in the house is when she's in um, in Buffalo, Buffalo and she always looks incredibly like uncomfortable in Buffalo except for when she's like messing around with dead butterflies. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think she's just scared of being anywhere but that house. Yeah. Um, and that, I think that's what she tries to convince Tom. And I think, like, Tom, to a certain extent, is also like, you know, this house is all we have. But he's a little less convinced of it than uh, Lucille. And then, like, all the way at the end of the movie, you have that, like, you know, brief uh, monologue from Edith about how ghosts are tied to a place. And then, you know, some of them can never leave. And then it just sort of pans to Edith playing the piano. Yeah. So I think she is just like, she she is much more tied to the house than she is, than he is. And he she is, you know, keeping them from leaving more to an extent than he is. Like, I think he would be capable of leaving it because, you know, when they were in the, the post office basement, he was clearly like, you know, hey, being out himself. of the house and, you know, yeah. getting laid. This is, yeah, that was nice. And implied cunnilingus. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's the name of my new punk band. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's. So I, I guess I kind of. I don't know. I, I wish there was either a little bit more or a little bit less of Lucille and Tom's relationship in the film because, like, that 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 is the big reveal. That's the big central conceit of what's going on this whole time. It's not just that is is Tom a good guy or a bad guy? Is Lucille evil? Is Lucille pulling the, you know you know? There's there's things you can sort of think about there, but the, the the film basically ends up deciding to declare in the third act there that okay, what's going on here is. Uh, Lucille's kind of crazy. Tom is sort of in her thrall, but sort of also in partnership with her in maintaining their long murderous grift. And I mean, Tom's pretty crazy too. Well, yeah, he, but, but yeah, he, it's it's definitely he is. He's presented you know, so much more sympathetically, like yeah, and, and he's not presented like sympathetically as aware that he's like. I, I guess this is the thing. Like, I don't. I would have been a little bit more interested to see a real exploration of the tension in Tom's wants and needs because we get a very you know overarching picture of him struggling between obviously being hugely devoted to his sister and also genuinely liking Edith and and genuinely having some interest in the possibility of a life that isn't skulking in a mansion repeatedly murdering his wives you know but but we we only we get like little bits of that and we don't get a real exploration of that sort of tension and his navigation of it. We just sort of get yeah. him whipping around from, well, this is a scene where I'll murder someone, but this is a scene where I really like Edith, you know, and there's not yeah. a real, it doesn't dig into that in a way that I would have been interested to see more. I think it would have made the characters uh, stronger. 
Yeah, he, he's well, definitely like presented as, as as like you know capital C conflicted, but the you know the 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 repercussions of it and the sources of it I think aren't explored enough to make it like super convincing. Like yeah. Like yeah. Lucille is more of a one note character, but I think she's more fully realized in that just because you know the the lack of like that sort of a, like she, I mean she's got her own internal conflicts. Like there's moments where she's like sort of like borderline tender towards Edith, like almost, and then it just no she like Edith goes back to just being a means to an end for her, and like you know the like. Lu- Lucille, like they, they 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 present her as being human in a different way than Tom, and they yeah. they present them being like monsters in different ways from each other. Um, yeah, I it, it is kind of funny what you were saying about Tom like being conflicted, and there's a, there's a huge problem with that when you're like, oh, but there's you've already killed three other women, <laughs> like, <laughs> like you have you've poisoned to death three previous women. So, like, at this point, it's kind of weird that you're you're even having these... Like, obviously, I guess it's it's like, oh, this is the one he really loves. But you'd think that at this point, he's 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 not really, like, a redeemable guy. <laughs> well, no, and that's, yeah, and that's, that's the thing. It's, yeah. it, I guess part of it is, like, he's clearly not... Like, he's done terrible things. This is not a, well, there's some dark things in my past, but now I've moved on. Like, you can't really see a through line to that happening. Yeah. Like, it would be terrible if the film had like redeemed him at the end in that way but at the same time the film doesn't really commit tonally as strongly to that like 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 here's the thing i can imagine his character and i think you know to the extent we're supposed to with what we see in some of his like attempts to redeem a little bit we're supposed to see in his character a lack of lucidity about the fact that he is so far gone like like he is clearly he's been tied up in this relationship with his sister and his sister has just been bonkers. And so he has become sort of bonkers and complicit in that and very much very actively complicit in terrible acts. He doesn't seem to totally like, you know, see that in a clear way. He doesn't seem to be, He's, he's, you know, we, we don't get, get him monologuing to someone about like, oh, but I love her, but how can she ever love me? You know, we don't get that sense that he's like, I've done monstrous things and it's ruined things. But we also don't get an interesting explanation of why he doesn't see that. You know, there's no real exploration yeah. of his psychology as someone too deluded to recognize the fundamental monstrousness of their acts. So, like, we don't get either of those from him. We instead we get like you know, handsome Tom Hiddleston. You know, although it is it is funny that he like the thing that brings him out and he like we don't have to do this anymore is he finally gets his fucking steam engine working, <laughs> and it's like like that's the one thing like finally he gets laid and he gets his steam engine working and he's like everything's great now. <laughs> Cue up Salisbury Hill. This is the big turn. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that, that 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 I just find a little bit frustrating about the film, and I found like. I don't know. I, I, I guess the, the incest revelation, it's, you know, it's a bad thing, but it's also like there's a fucking house full of ghosts and murder and sinking <laughs> into the red scarlet clay of Crimson Peak. And, oh, oh, your brother and sister and you're boning. Okay, well, that's yeah. a huge monstrous third act. Turn. Yeah, it's like it just – it felt a little – and I, I guess it falls in the idea like there's there's a fundamental betrayal there that you know there's all the stuff that sort of carries with it that you know he's sleeping with another woman and it's his sister so that's even grosser and but but it, it felt a little bit like 
to me. It was just like, you know, yeah. let's I get... Know, let's- I, I, I kind of like that they use that to just, like, show off uh, Edith's, you know, naivete a bit, where she's just like, my God, you're not really his sister. And Lucille's like, no, I am. And then she, yeah. you know, chucks her off the thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I- so... <laughs> <laughs> I would have actually loved it so much more if they if it wasn't that it didn't that that the baby wasn't theirs and if it was just that she'd just been giving him hand jobs for like twenty <laughs> years. <laughs> like he'd never actually had sex and that's why in the like when he comes back from the thing he's like my God, this changes everything. <laughs> I had no idea. Uh. <laughs> just like, just like nursery rhyme moan hand jobs for twenty years, and then actual sex, and it just it just breaks just everything. In that guy. <laughs> you know what I'd like to think um, that he went through this with all three wives. That like you know he. It, it, the, the gramophone records sort of, you know, and all the photos sort of make that not the case. It, you know, it, it's sort of clear by, like, you know, the, the that he was not particularly into at least that one woman. Um, but I, I, I'd like to think that he and Lucille and, like, all three of his wives went through this whole thing. Oh, but it turns out I love you. Ah, now I have to kill you. But I love you. Lucille, we can all live together. And it's just like Edith was the one that, like... It just so happened that it was her that, you know, the thing, everything finally came down on because well, she was so, uh, she, she had the gumption. One way, one way to look at this movie, uh, going back to the idea that this is a movie that's very clearly riffing on gothic horror, gothic romance. The fact that Edith is very clearly positioned as a writer character where the movie could be taken as literally her ghost story that she has written is like Edith, of course Edith is totally Mary Sue in, in, in some of the central plot turns of this, you know, why would she not, you know, be an author insert that somehow is the one that changes everything? Because, you know, you're sitting down, you're writing your story and then, uh, you know, writes Edna, Edith saw Tom across her, you know, it's like, so like every, every, every little problem with the movie, that's a little bit dumb, you know, you could just say, Oh yeah, but that's just, that's, that's how, uh, yeah. Authoress Edith, wanted it to work the scene where uh you know edith is like super ill and lucille's got like you know the 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 lawyer's letter in front of her and then she's like burning her manuscript do you think that was supposed to be an illusion of misery i think a little bit yeah i don't too. i don't think you can totally get away from that yeah. and i remember i was watching that i was just like oh no her short story i'm just like you know what if she survives this she's gonna have a much <laughs> much better short story material uh yeah, there's a lot of fun little illusion. Like the the gramophone records, I feel like is a is a bright and rock thing, um, with the revelation that somebody like doesn't really love somebody else on a on a gramophone. Um, but no, which why would you? It was a lot harder to make a recording back then. Like 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 today, yeah. <laughs> if like you know the admission into a voice memo on your phone that you didn't actually love the person you love, that would feel a little contrived. You know having that happen and then them find it on your phone as part of a story, but like yeah. literally making a wax cylinder. <laughs> like I really, you know, that's, that's, that's going above and beyond to, to plant a, you know, admission of betrayal or whatever, you know, in the third act. Uh, I actually, another great like thing that really ties us in with Gothic horror is kind of the obsession with new technology. Um, and you see this in, uh, Dracula, for instance, like in Dracula, I think there actually is a portable phonograph machine that they're using to record on wax cylinders. Everyone has like, uh, like 
they're talking constantly about how great the portable typewriter is <laughs> because it's like it's like the edge of a new world. Um, I think oh oh yeah, uh, Dracula can't read Harker's journal because it's in shorthand. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and so I I sort of felt like they definitely were calling back to that with a lot of the obsession with new technology uh, in this. Yeah. But um, but I haven't I haven't read dracula in many years and 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 so i i'm trying not to be rosy about my memory of it because i remember being a little bit clunky the way i think like it's every underwhelming and it's also an epistolary novel but it's an epistolary novel where roughly everybody has the same like auth- yeah <laughs> like authorial voice yeah so it doesn't Wait. work very well in that sense but there is there's like a cowboy american character in it and do we ever read anything in his voice because I, I kind of feel like we do, and it's like rootin' tootin' tarnation, but I, <laughs> I, I may just be bringing that up because he, like, the way that that character talks throughout the book is so absurd and, like, like foghorn leghorn-esque that, like, it would be so great if there's a chapter in Dracula that's like, <laughs> like, then we went out on a darn old vampire hunt. <laughs> I, I I'm suddenly really, really want the next... Uh, folks who who decide to try and make a, a Dracula film to be the Coen Brothers, because that could be oh, kind of amazing. Yeah. They just did a really, really doting in in some ways uh, film of it, but then you know did it the way they were inclined to do it. That that could be something. And yeah, just get get the uh, get the uh, Sam, what's his fuck back, and he'll just literally be the cowboy from Big Lebowski, except he'll be the cowboy in Dracula. I think the cowboy in Dracula was like twenty five, though. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Don't have to be that oh man, doting. there's so much stuff in Dracula that is really mm-hmm. like I read it as part of a, a class on post colonialism, actually. But um, there's there's all this stuff where there are, all of the dudes give Mina their blood, and like while she's passed out, and then there's this like very hurried conference where they agree that they'll never tell her that they gave her <laughs> their blood. And it's like, what? What are you guys talking about? <laughs> Is this some like for here? Yeah, yeah. Because she, like, they, they basically just. In, actually, I don't even know if they'd really in, figured out transfusions yet. But uh, all, like, like Van Helsing, um, Jonathan, all the dudes, and I think there's like five of them end up giving Mina multiple transfusions while at the while talking about how they can never tell her and she can never know. She definitely and no, like, won't know when her body rejects all of these yeah, blood yeah. types. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess they maybe hadn't... Fi- I mean, you'd think that they'd figure out about blood types pretty early on in transfusions, just in the sense that, like, transfusions do not work. Yeah, yeah, it's... But, um, yeah. I don't know, maybe there was, like, you know, a solid hundred years of, well, I guess the transfusion didn't take... <laughs> Maybe we should have used more. I don't know, but where they just had no idea why, um, and then they kept doing it though. Yep. Well, if it works sometimes, that's better than it working never. Yeah. You know, so yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'd be I'd be curious to read about a history of nineteenth century transfusion. <laughs> the one dude with type with type O positive with the, with the universal blood type is like I don't know why everybody else keeps fucking it up. <laughs> it seems to be working great for me. <laughs> He just gets credit for being the best transfusionist in the world. Yeah, yeah. He's got, oh, he's got strong humors, that one. Yep. He's a, he's, he's a good humor man. He's, <laughs> That's uh, where it comes from originally. Yeah. 
ice cream would balance <laughs> your raging humors. Can that I, is, I want to talk a little bit about the title of this film because it's Crimson Peak, which it's revealed in the most. I, I, I kind of loved that scene and hated it at the same time when the revelation because like the Crimson Peak. Oh, because blah blah blah. So that's what's called Crimson Peak. You know, it's Crimson Peak because because the nature thing. That's that's so it's called Crimson Peak. You know, while she's busy, just wah, quietly in her head. I mean, it starts off like in the in the very beginning of the movie. Like the first scene is like her mother's ghost when she is a child, warning her like, "Beware of Crimson Peak," uh, which is I think like the first line of dialogue actually spoken by a character in the movie. Because uh, everything yeah. else up until that point narration. is narration, and then she's just like, you know, it was a warning out of time that I would not find out about until it's too late. And yeah, there's this scene, it's just like, and Tom, Tom's just like, oh yeah, you know, when the snow comes around here, you know, it, it mixes with, with, with the clay and turns it red, so Crimson Peak. And then I really wanted there to be just like a dun, 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 <laughs> but, but there wasn't. But then she's just like, wait, what? He's just like, oh, Crimson Peak. Well, bye. <laughs> um, uh, like three days after I saw this movie, I, I was getting a drink with some friends and they were having a conversation. I, I was like talking to somebody else and then I turned around and one of my friends was like, oh yeah, and right now I'm at Crimson Peak. And I was like, oh, did you see Crimson Peak? She's like, no, that's that's just what we've started calling being like deep into our periods now. <laughs> Which is like such a great... I was like, hmm. <laughs> So so here here's the thing in the visual language of this film at any point do we ever really get conveyed a crimson peak like we 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 know it's up a mountain because you know they have to get up the mountain you know and and you know good old doctor uh Charlie Hunnam uh forges on up the mountain in the snow and and all that but but like was yeah, there a distinct lack of peakiness yeah it it seems like like <laughs> my, my my wife pointed this out it's like crimson flat place which is a bad Hillock, name for movies, so obviously, think. but maybe it's one of those like you know British deadpanisms. Yeah, like the fact that there's a peak of crimson in the story of the film when at last the blood flows. But at the same time, it's like you still you, you kind of name the movie that, and then you name the place in the movie that explicitly. Once you actually say, "Oh yes, this place, by the way, is known as Crimson Peak," I think looking for the peak is a reasonable thing to do, and I didn't see it. I don't think you can really construct peaks out of landscapes that are like 90% red blood curved clay. <laughs> like maybe it was a lot peakier. It would have been so great if at one point somebody's looking at a picture postcard of it where it's like this house on this really tall jagged mountain and then they look up and it's just like it's just sitting on top of like a, they're like oh yeah uh, we took out all the clay and that's what happens. Crimson strip mine. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what else did I have here? I, I I literally took no notes because you know I went went to a movie theater and I've tried taking notes a couple times in movies and it turns out it just becomes an unreadable scrawl when I look back to the next day. So I know I've got a couple more things hanging out, but I can't really say what. Uh, Jim Beaver's character. Uh, <laughs> did you did you like him? Like like I I can think of characters who I would be sadder to see brutally murdered. As the protective father figure. Like, he kind of just seemed like a, a mean guy, even though I think he was just supposed to be a gruff exterior caring father. I uh, I, I have such, um, what do you call it, a uh, fondness for, for Jim Beaver in, in Supernatural. 
that yeah. I, I I think a lot of that carried over into this movie, and I was just like, oh, it's it's, it's you know one of Bobby's ancestors. <laughs> well, I think that it, it, the same thing, but on the flip side for me is like, yeah, and I haven't watched as much Supernatural as you, but but I like Jim Beaver in Supernatural. Uh, and I kind of, I kind of just wanted to like him in the same way here, but like it was, it, it, the balance was off, which is totally like, dang it, Jim Beaver, why didn't you play the exact same <laughs> character in this? Why weren't you that's wearing unrelated? a mesh hat the whole time? Yeah, come on. Well, it's also his reaction to Thomas at 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 like that meeting is so outsized and like so absurd and like like fundamentally dickish that it's kind of. Uh, like and I, I guess the the idea is that you're supposed to feel uh feel sympathy for Thomas. Uh, yeah, where you're just like talking about how smooth his hands are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like fuck you, buddy. Well, it's like also like yeah, that guy is a lawyer, so I guess your lawyer probably hasn't done a whole lot of physical labor. <laughs> <laughs> I, Actually, I, maybe maybe he burned his hand in order to form a callus. So that Jim Beaver's spirit would one day approve of him. That could be. That could be. Like, they're going to be total besties in the afterlife. Let's talk about the afterlife for a minute. Because the, the film explicitly notes that the warning about Crimson Peak is out of time. And and unfortunately, apparently also ch- poorly chosen vocabulary on the part of mom ghost. Since it's such <laughs> a revelation. The colloquialism. Yeah. <laughs> Don't marry Tom Sharp. He's an incestuous murderer. You know, it seems like there, there are other ways she could have gone with it. Uh, if what we were trying to do is make this movie not have a narrative, I guess. Um, I, I think the ghosts in this movie don't have a lot of control over what they can do and how they can appear and how they can, you know, represent themselves. Because I think they were genuinely trying to be helpful, but if they could, you know, if they had a choice, they probably wouldn't be appearing as, like, you know, horrifying, <laughs> gruesome specters. If that, they could you know, apparate utter skin. cryptic warnings, you but know, then, and like the the point where she's just like, you know, if you can hear me, take my hand, and like it just slams her the fuck down. Like I think the ghost probably be like, oh shit, god damn it, not again! <laughs> I really didn't mean to do that. Maybe it's like uh, the movie Ghost, where he's just, like still trying to figure out how to like affect reality, and he like fucks it up the first number of times. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe or these... like the movie Ghost Dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You had, to br- you had to bring Cosby into it. Uh, maybe, maybe the maybe the creepy skeleton ghosts aren't even creepy skeleton ghosts. Maybe they're actual creepy skeletons, and that's just what was available because like Whoopi Goldberg wasn't around yet. Yeah, and so it's like <laughs> oh, I got to talk to her. I got to warn her. But oh, I found this shitty skeleton. That'll work, I guess. <laughs> Do you think? See, here, here's the thing: if if they have so little control about how they appear and when and and what they say and whatnot. Who exactly is the authority governing those choices for them then? Because like her mom just died of the plague, right? Or cholera. or, or cholera. Yeah, di- died the of- black cholera, <laughs> which I don't think that's a thing. In any case, she she just died of a disease that was going around, right? She wasn't like murdered or anything. Is like we're not assuming that that actually is what happened. She, like she just actually died of a gross disfiguring disease, and then she comes back as a ghost who gives cryptic warnings and looks horrible. And then there's these women who were murdered at Crimson Peak, and they come back looking like skeleton ghosts who are creepy and horrible. And like, why is there such a commonality there when I there's think maybe part of it is influenced by Edith's conception of ghosts where, um, oh. she like 
like it's it's made really clear up until the very very end with 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 Tom's ghost that she's the only one capable of seeing these, and that they're not actually there, and that they don't have. The, they they can like sort of affect things, but like you know they can move doors a bit and they can like you know throw a ball, but they're not particularly like virile in reality. They they can't you know like they, they, it, it doesn't seem like one of those ghosts could like kill anybody, um, maybe scare them to death or like you know get them to like walk off of a thing because they're backing up or or something like that. But it doesn't seem like you know one of those ghosts could like beat the crap out of somebody. Um, and, and maybe, like, their appearance is just influenced by Edith's, like, you know, as, as a child, maybe she heard ghost stories about scary ghosts, and that's her conception of ghosts, and when they appear to her, they appear to her how she expects them to appear to her, which is horrifying. And if she had been, like, raised on, you know, like, in a, in a like, like, an ancestor culture where, you know, like, spirits of ancestors are a regular thing, they'd just be appearing as normal people, being like, hey, uh, don't go there. You know, you know, don't don't marry this guy. But instead, you know, they're like these weird, uh, you know, horrifying things uh, that are, you know, as scary as she could imagine them to be. I'd buy it, that. Yeah. So it is kind of funny that that after she confronts Tom about like that they're living in the most haunted house on Earth. No, like Tom nor Lucille ever seem that concerned about the fact that she seems to be seeing a ton of ghosts even from the sense that like this might be a problem in our plan if Can she's that's that that i don't know because like, didn't at the very end didn't lucille see tom's ghost yes yeah and they don't seem to be surprised about like the the accuracy of her visions like when she tells yeah them, i mean it could be like their weird like you know serial killer like lack of affect thing but, like, when she's just like, I saw a woman in the tub with a hatchet in her head, and they're both like, mm, Oh, yeah, yeah, mom, yeah, yeah you'll I get mean, that. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, The walls yeah, are bleeding. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I did sort of wonder about that idly throughout the film, whether or not, like, they were able to see ghosts and were aware of the ghost situation or not. Because, I, yeah, I feel like the film didn't really answer that definitively. And even even Lucille seeing Tom's ghost at the end doesn't tell us – because she seemed sort of shocked, right? Yeah. yeah. So so maybe that's the first time she saw a ghost. So, so yeah. And then there's that, that, that part where uh, Charlie Hunnan is explaining to – Eat of how how being colorblind works, and then she's just like, maybe we don't see a thing until we're intended. And no, that's not how being colorblind works at all. <laughs> you don't but see it does green work at the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I wish they they made more of 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 that, like the whole thing with the spirit photography, where like in the canon of the movie, it's clearly a absolutely real thing. Um, or at least that kind where, you know, they, it, I don't think at any point it's implied that like those slides that he got are fakes of some sort. And like, he's very, very sure that they're real. And, yeah. you know, I, I you know, the whole technology aspect of it, like, like Mark said, I, I think it's supposed to be, I think we're supposed to take it, you know, on credit that those things are real. And I wish they like, you know, up the, 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 the amount of ghost hunting in this movie a bit, like with that Steampunk end, ghost where hunting. I guess instead of him, like, you know, trying to be, you know, like, you know, a, a detective who's really just paying a different detective to do the real work, uh, he could have been like doing ghost hunting stuff. And I, yeah. I wish that happened. What if Charlie Hunnam's last character's last name, what if he'd been Dr. Alan Vinkman? <laughs> oh, a lot know? of missed opportunities. Yeah, like to, this, for the, Ghostbusters, the first class. Exactly. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> oh, speaking of which, in the, in the 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 Ghostbusters reboot, the uh, Egon esque character played by uh, what's her name, Kate McKinnon. Her last name's Holtzman. Yeah. Little, little little Dune, little Dune there. Yep. When Charlie Hunnan says it's like, oh yeah, you know, he can never perceive red or green. It's just like you know, he trusts everybody else that you know red or green exist and. I think shortly after that, there's like two or three scenes shot almost entirely in red and green, <laughs> and I wonder if that's just like a fuck you to color <laughs> you to color my people. <laughs> <laughs> I did not notice that. Uh, well, it, uh, it, it was an awkward line too because, like, I, I know what he means, but like, you know, it's not that they can't see red or green; it's just distinguish between them. If you're red, green, colorblind, you can see them both. You know, it's like it's not like red is invisible. You're not incapable of detecting it. You just you're not. Also, this was clearly a time before uh, HIPAA. Because he was just like, let me tell you what ails this man that was just yeah. here. Yeah, well. He's still do. in the room when he starts telling her about it. Like, he's like, he's like walking out and he's like, this asshole here. So oh, yeah, and then he's yeah. just like, tell him, take this to the pharmacist and tell him to make it exactly. Not like those other things I give you where they can just put any sort of shit in there and tell you it's the real medicine. Tell them to give you the real medicine this time. <laughs> Remember what happened last time, and remember how mad I got. <laughs> like I said, just exactly as prescription says, equal parts mercury and arsenic. <laughs> and apply it directly to your eyes. Oh. Well, do you guys have any other lingering thoughts on this? I, I, I think I've sort of gotten through most of the stuff that came to mind as I watched it. Again, oh, I, the dog. Oh, the dog. Or like that is the most under. I actually checked does the dog live dot com to see what people had put in, (laughs) and there's actually like there's a variety of opinions on whether that dog lives. (laughs) Yeah, we don't definitively like like I think Lucille picks it up right near the end, and it could have easily been a quick next step. I think the dog is following them, or she's carrying it when they're walking to like the towns, the assembled towns. I don't know because I my my read of that was that she really quickly throttles the dog. That was kind of um, where I thought that was going. Yeah, but I'm not sure. I'm I'm now Googling Crimson Peak Dog <laughs> to see what... It's probably going to tell me that the name of the dog was Chachi. Yep. Oh, apparently it's a metaphor for Edith uh, from Bustle.com. Proving that you can be beautiful and strong. <laughs> <laughs> I I I I I was I'm sort of still under the 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 perception that the dog is a supernatural immortal being. What if because Lucille's like, how did that thing survive? We left it out in the wild. It's like, well, it can't die. What if the dog and the dog's ball are both just ghosts? And that's that's why it's not even creepy at that point that the ball came back into the room on its own that one time. I was just like. That was the dog's ghost friend, Mr. Ghostball. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Did the ball also die a violent death? Well, yes. I guess at the hands of the ghost. <laughs> yes, it was it was uh, it was squeezed, squeezed to too death. hard by <laughs> Lucille at one point. Uh, I the, the the costumes in this film were great. We haven't really s I I I d yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't really like have all the, the fabric on everything. Like this is one of the reasons you like people should definitely see it in the theater on a giant screen because just like of the you know, like the house itself and the ghosts. It's it's CGI. It's good. It's like you know, well detailed CGI, but it's a little CGI. The costuming, on the other hand, is like they really ornate. Clothes. Like she's got this like sleeping gown with like these enormous like puffy shoulders. There's a lot of puffy um, shoulders. Yeah, on yeah, in this movie. yeah. 
there's I saw an image of like uh, her in like that gown with her hair down and like the the, the candelabra from some uh, black and white movie and I don't remember what it was but the, the, it looked almost identical um, which was really you know it was just like one of those like things it's like yes this is like her appearance is very much an allusion to something but I, I don't know yeah. what it is yeah. and I can't find it well it's one of those things where like I don't really pay that much attention to costuming generally speaking so it's like I cannot like you know yeah I can't like hold forth on this or anything but it's clear that a huge amount of work went into like doing the costume design for this like, yeah. like people had a really good time Going going nuts on all of the costume design throughout. Edith wears so many rad things. Uh, yeah. Lucille too. Uh, Lucille's oh, yeah, that hair. red dress that Lucille is in uh, when she's playing the piano, like like the blood red oh, yeah. crimson. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like well, also like, yeah, and then like when she puts her hair down, like we we never see her with her hair down the entire movie until uh, until mournful hand job. And when that happens, she has this braid that is, like, literally as thick as my arm and, like, goes down her entire back. And it's such, like, a romantic, uh, like, romantic era sign of, like, wildness and danger. Uh, it, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. And, like, when she's, um, like, at the end when she's, like, it, they, they do the thing that they did in um, 28 Days Later, which was where, you know, in 28 Days Later, like, the whole movie, you get, like, a particular kind of uh, cinematography when the zombies are on screen, like, lots of really fast pans, lots of, uh, you know, really disorienting camera work to represent just how, like, fast these zombies are. And then, like, at the end of the movie where he has to go rescue whoever the fuck, like, the he adopts their tactics, and the movie starts shooting him like they did with the zombies when he's just, like, you know, doing all of his, like, ninja stuff, killing the guards. Um, and they did that sort of very similar thing where Edith becomes a ghost while she's still alive. You know, when she's just, like, running, you know, with her hair down, like, running madly with a knife through the house and, like, that white gown, yeah. like, bleeding from the neck. Um, and then, like, at, at all the way at the end when they're, like, you know, outside and they're having their, their fight and you see, like, her, you know, disappear behind corners really quick just like the ghosts did. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I really I really enjoyed that. Um, uh, and there was the, the scene in the park uh, where with uh, Tom Hiddleston dressed as goth guy in the park <laughs> was just so, so wonderful. Because, I mean, that might as well have just been, like, Tompkins Square Park. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, and Edith and Edith and Lucille when yeah they're like having that sort of like picnic lunch or whatever it was, and Edith is in this great big, uh, I think again with a puppy sort of like like big golden thing with with this uh this belt that's a pair of hands clasping each other, like 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 doll sized but big doll sized hands clasping each other it was like the buckle of this belt on her dress. That was like such a weird prop. To throw into a costume, yeah. and then Lucille sitting there in her black dress with like white X's stitched <laughs> into the shoulders somewhere, and this is like this is this is this is this is our core sketch for the costume design of this film. Everybody, just look at this and extrapolate from here. I, who? Yeah, I, I. So I mean, Tom would have to dress Lucille, right? Because that's not clothes you can get into on your own. I guess None, like, I feel like that's that a, stuff that you need like a lady's maid to I, I, like you I know feel cinch like, up. Practically speaking, with this film, we're getting well into. But why didn't we see any of them pooping territory on that front? Though I don't think. <laughs> but I don't why think, didn't we see any of them pooping? It's, oh, because the water there was no is, toilet it's in that bathroom. Red, it's just red clay. That's what. Oh my god! That's what those big vats are. That's that's the that's the, uh, the sewage. They're just pooping into clay. <laughs> 
it's got some strong anti-aromatic properties. It's it's the best possible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one more thing. How do we rate the the catchphrase deliverance at the end? With the "I heard you the first time," uh, that was a uh, that was a pretty. Uh, I wish she had said, "You're repeating yourself." Yeah, like or like, that, "But that, you that repeat yourself." Because, because yeah, because because he, you know, because he had said the, the, the that thing, but then he's just like the funny part of that was when he said, "You're repeating yourself." Because yeah. he didn't actually say anything, and I was like, I was expecting her to drop that line. I'm just like, "Oh, you're 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 just going to." really really allude to it not actually you know <laughs> you said a thing but twice <laughs> yeah 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 also one thing i mentioned to yakov is that like if we're seeing tom hiddleston uh his ghost with with like the the face wound and everything when we see edith at the end her head should be at some extremely comical angle like her her like head should be upside her. down or something <laughs> but uh but no yeah, there's not uh, a lot of consistency to how or why the ghosts appear the way they do. Yeah. They just... Yeah. Bummer. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Well, hey, that was a movie. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, yeah. I think I think we've got to get you out of here, Mark. Yeah, you've, you've unfortunately. You've got a schedule but... thing, so we should wrap it up. But, uh, but yeah, uh, thanks thanks for coming on. Thanks for... Yeah, for thank you. Jabbering about this with us. Yeah, yeah. Good, good movie, yeah. I think. Yeah. I, again, recommend to see it. It's it's still playing right now, so. And I guess out. for the listeners, I don't know if we're gonna. We're probably not gonna have like a guest on every time, but I think we're probably gonna have guests on more often. Yeah. Because after what two years, the dynamic of just me and Josh yeah, is it's, it's 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 refreshing to have like a third person here <laughs> talking. We may have sort of figured each other out uh, uh, pretty <laughs> at this point <laughs> in terms of conversational turns. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, no, it's 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 nice having a, a third voice in the mix. So so yeah, well, thanks thank for, you for getting uh, and this. you can you can find me at I haven't seen that dot com and then on Twitter at Mark Popham P O P H A M Popham. It's pronounced Popham. By the way. <laughs> are you on Metafilter? I know you read it, but are you? Uh, I I I have an account. Uh, I don't really post. I I think I've posted like maybe two. And I, okay. I don't comment very often, so. so I'll leave that one in the past, like a ghost. Oh, wait, is the that ghost metaphorical? Is, a metaphor for the is past. that metaphorical or metafiltrical? Hey! Uh, <laughs> all right, good night, everybody. Uh, good night, everybody. <laughs> good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>